podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. So today we are here to continue a little mini-series about some of the places that various members in our network, the Dynamite Circle or DC, have ended up settling in as home for either their family, their own personal lifestyle, or for their business. Speaking of lifestyle, I've invited my co-host and business partner onto the program, Boss Man. How you doing? King of lifestyle over here, man. <laughs> I just heard about the weekend you're going to have. and It's like you're having a proper Texas weekend. That's right. Give me the to-do list here. I want to hear about it. Well, as soon as I get off this call, we're going skeet shooting. I assume there might be a little bit of barbecue involved. There's going to be a lot of Texas in this weekend. That's for sure. You're going to go car racing. That's right. You're probably going to go to like a cool honky-tonk to go dancing or something. Already did it last night. Oh, man. The weekend has already started. I'm incredibly jealous. Let's get back to work here. We'll cover Texas on another episode. On the last episode we did like this, you interviewed me about Spain. We talked to Shannon Weeks about Portugal. These types of episodes have surprised me. Because I guess originally my idea was, well, that won't be all that interesting to talk about just one country for a whole episode. But what I ended up finding is that it's meeting these entrepreneurs vis-a-vis the country that was the interesting part for me. Yeah, and it's it's making it real and understanding that like there are expats living in these countries and that's a real possibility for me because it still feels like it's... Well, number one, it is still kind of hard to get these things done, but it doesn't ever feel like it's possible a lot of times, I think, as an American, right, to live somewhere else. And especially if you have a weaker passport, like it's certainly harder to live somewhere else. So this episode is going to be called, Should You Base Yourself in Eastern Europe? That'll give you a little clue about the countries we're focusing on today. And I'm really glad to do this show because it gave me a chance to get on the phone with two of my favorite people. My name is Clayton Cornell, and I run a lead generation business for solar installers. My name is Dana Lindahl, and I run a lead generation company. Just like the last episode, we're going to splice between these two stories to give you an idea about how these guys ended up fixed on their respective country, and also a little background of the steps to look into if you might want to do the same. I'm going to do the obligatory heads up here, Ian. I'm sure this won't surprise you at all. I am not a lawyer, and neither are our guests today. These are just personal insights. So if you're interested in doing anything that they've done following in their footsteps, definitely check out all your options to contact multiple lawyers. And multiple lawyers, that's the critical part. It's what you're going through right now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're in a multiple lawyer situation. (laughs) I'm in a multiple lawyer situation. (laughs) Because if you don't know a lot about something, it's easy to think that, you know, just because you got the title lawyer or doctor, that it's like, well, this person must be really good with the law or this person must just cut people open and solve problems once they get inside, you know? (laughs) Older and wiser people told me that this day would come, by the way. They're like, there's going to come a day. If you continue with this business stuff and you continue traveling around the world, there's going to become a day where you're going to be involved with lawyers on a weekly basis. 
And that is now your life. I'm learning, man. Okay, so we're going to hear from Dana Lindell in just a little bit. But first up, let's start with Clayton Cornell, who, by the way, not only runs his own business online, but who has a great blog, actually one of my favorites. It's called Spartan Traveler. And I first started reading years ago when Clayton was surfing in Bali. He's a big surfer. But it's not your average travel blog. It's extra smart. If you like the TMBA, you'll absolutely love Spartan Traveler. Okay, so let's spin back to the story on why he left the U.S. in the first place and how he ended up spending large parts of his year in the capital of Hungary, Budapest. Although when we had this conversation, he was taking some time out in the sun in Spain's Canary Islands. Not bad, huh? Not bad, not bad. It was definitely a progression. I did leave to do a travel adventure, but I also had in mind that I didn't want to go back to the old ways, I guess you'd call it. So, you know, I had a spreadsheet with actually a death clock in it, which had, you know, a number that said, this is how many more months you have of fun before you have to go back. So, you know, about six months into just traveling and doing the thing, you know, I went through the normal progression everyone goes through, which is, this is amazing, I'm gonna go everywhere. And then, okay, this doesn't really work. I need to do something productive. I'm also stressed out about eating into my savings. So let's make something happen. And then there were other things that came up. There's this big transition period that I went through where I wanted to kind of focus on building a business, but I wasn't ready to let go of the travel thing. And so I finally, you know, I was bouncing around in Southeast Asia and that's when I ended up in Chiang Mai. When you get to that point, you need a base. And that was a huge priority for me. And I think it was 2014 or 2015, I decided, all right, I need to find a base within the next year. Is that what you were doing in Chiang Mai, kind of scoping it as a potential base? It was more like that was the place I got to when I, I decided I have to stop traveling, like I have to stop moving. And I mean, if you've been to Chiang Mai, you know, it's like you get there and you're like, I don't need to move. I'm fine. This is perfect. It's like $150 a month for rent. It's easy. There's no lifestyle overhead, no problem. There's a point at which I think it's been best described that you're sitting there in flip-flops and shorts. You're kind of sweating profusely and, and you just have this thought in the back of your mind of, you know, I could really wear a pair of blue jeans. You know, that, that might be actually you know, like something that I look forward to, which is kind of strange, but that's the point at which Europe becomes really appealing. And then, you know, there's a list of things where it just made more sense long-term to get to Europe. Like the time zone, you know, if you're doing any work in the U.S., you get over the 9.30 p.m. sales calls or getting up super early. And yeah, there's, I think, probably a little bit easier access to the U.S. as well. But the time zone was huge. And then, you know, there's other things. Ultimately, when I was in Chiang Mai, I was building software to support my business. And I kept finding people that were really, really qualified, you know, spoke excellent English, and they were affordable. And it all ended up happening in Central and Eastern Europe. So I was working with guys in Romania, I was working with guys in Serbia. And, you know, I got to this point where everyone's had this experience with freelancers that one day they just disappear. So like, even if they've been working with you for a year, this is one day, you know, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm not available anymore. And, and especially with development work, if you're relying on it at all, you're screwed. You got to scramble, you got to find someone else to get in there. So I had this fantasy that I could go potentially to that region and hire someone and actually sit down with them in, in the same room for a little while and kind of iron things out and get a foundation that would allow me to get back to whatever it is I wanted to do. And then the next question was, okay, well, where would that be? And the city that jumped out at me as the most likely candidate to live in long term was Budapest. 
because I had been there in 2013, just when I was kind of in that first year of traveling. I went through a bunch of Europe, and I got stuck there the first time. I mean, I was supposed to be there a few days. I ended up staying six weeks. I overstayed my Schengen visa, so it had that kind of draw early on. So you know, it was in the back of my mind. I thought maybe that'd be a good place to, even if I wasn't in the same city. I'm really close to people. Maybe I could go work with someone for a few weeks, even if it was Romania. That's kind of how it got started ultimately. If it was at least partly work priorities that Lord Clayton to Budapest, for Dana, it was the issue, which we've spoken about before, of being in a relationship with someone whose passport makes it difficult to travel together. But how did Georgia come onto his radar? And by Georgia, by the way, I don't mean home of the Atlanta Falcons. I was about to start singing that song. You know that song. <laughs> Georgia. That's it. But the former Soviet Republic bounded to the west by the Black Sea and to the north by Russia. So just a little bit of geography for you there, which I got from Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) Earlier this year, I was living in Colombia. I was doing a lot of sales calls to the U.S., and this was really good for my business, but it was a little bit difficult for me to run the business and get on the phone all the time during the same working hours. So I decided I wanted to you know, have my mornings for work and I wanted to have my evenings to be able to still do sales without being on the the crazy Asia schedule when you're doing, you know, calls in the middle of the night. So I started looking around at all the places that we could go to, but there was a big caveat for me and that's my wife is Balinese and it's really hard to travel on an Indonesian passport, especially once you start getting outside of Asia. So we started looking at a couple of the places that we could actually get her into without a big, long, complicated visa process. And a few things popped on our radar. One was Turkey, one was Georgia, and the other was Armenia. So we decided that we would start in Georgia. And before I even got there, I started looking into it. And I found that there was actually really easy residency options for Georgia to allow her to stay there all year. And so your motivation was essentially time zone. Is that fair to say? Yeah, at the time, my motivation was time zone. I've also been interested this year in getting out of the developing world a little bit more, staying in places that are kind of straddling the line between developing and first world. You know, I don't have much interest in moving to the U.S. or Canada, but I also want to get into places that are just a little bit more well-developed, infrastructure works better. So Eastern Europe was, was big on my list. Hey, this is Dan zooming in with the TMBA news update. All right, so Ian and I have been working hard on our businesses in 2017. We're back at it, I think it's fair to say, and we've been exploring ways to grow and expand. Here at the podcast specifically, we hope you've noticed that we've made a massive investment in time and money to try and involve and improve our show in 2016, and that's something we want to continue in 2017. I don't know if you guys remember the episode we had with Alex Bloomberg, but At the beginning, before I talked to him, I was critical of him for taking money. I was like, man, why don't you just bootstrap your podcast? But now that I'm a year and a half in the process of trying to produce a show with a team and a lot of moving parts, I realize how expensive high-quality podcasts can be. I understand that there was a charm to like some of the early days of this show when it was me and Ian just getting started out, but... We can't really go back to that, you know? We feel like the only way to proceed is to continue to evolve and try to figure out, you know, what the next level of this show can be. I think we can make it more interesting and more useful. I know. I know we can, actually. And all that means we need to make our investment in our team sustainable and make it last. 
So for a trial period, we're going to experiment with running ads from sponsors in the middle of the podcast. Our first sponsor is going to be us. That's right. I want to be my own first customer. We have a lot of exciting things going on below the show this year, and I want to make sure you, the listeners, hear about all the ways in which you can get involved. I'm going to play that first ad in just a moment. So if your business is interested in partnering with the TMBA podcast, you can check out our interest form at tropicalmba.com slash sponsors. And as always, thank you so much for your support. Today, the TMBA podcast is sponsored by TMBA Masterminds. Have you made your first few sales online, but are having trouble getting your business to the point of liftoff, replacing your professional or consulting salary with a full-time location-independent income? Well, the good news is that you've already done the hardest part, which is getting started. What you need now isn't more knowledge, it's more action. And one of the best ways to ensure you take effective actions towards your goals is to join a small group of your peers, particularly those with similar goals and achievements in life, who are also working hard to achieve business success. You're hurting your chances of success if you're trying to do this alone. For a limited time, we'll be connecting listeners of this podcast into hand-picked masterminds based on industry, expertise, lifestyle, and other factors that constitute our secret sauce. <laughs> To learn how you can join a TMBA mastermind, visit tropicalmba.com slash TMBA masterminds. That's tropicalmba.com slash TMBA masterminds. The doors on our first mastermind matching period ends on March 7th. So act fast. One of the things that is a theme that I've seen in our community is that when you have like two strange passports that end up getting hooked together through marriage or partnership, all of a sudden, like where you can be together becomes like a really big issue. And I know for you, you can't be in your home country with your wife. Is that accurate? We would need to get her a green card. We've applied for a tourist visa, but because I'm American, they do not believe her non-immigrant intent when she wants to go there as a tourist because I'm American. So we want to travel together. We want to live in the same place together. So basically, it feels like I'm Indonesian. It feels like I have an Indonesian passport because I'm restricted by her passport. What's strange is that because you guys got married, it made it harder to visit the U.S. together. Isn't that true? Like if, you, if she was single, she could just say, oh, you know, I'm just coming to visit America for a vacation and I have a business in Bali and, you know, just want to stay for two weeks or whatever. This is true. Yeah. And we can still go there. We just need to go through the longer term immigration process, which is kind of insane to get her a green card to go there to visit for three weeks. But really, that's kind of the only option that we have to travel there. You're online, you're looking at Georgia, you're thinking, hey, this has some pretty appealing prospects. So what do you do? Do you book a ticket and just go? We booked the ticket, yeah. Our idea was, well, we can spend a month there. She gets 30 days for a free visa. We can spend a month in Turkey, in Istanbul, which is a fantastic city. And we can also spend 30 days in Armenia. And they all kind of have the same 30 days in out of 90 days. So I figured we could just kind of continue rotating those three until we found some sort of better option. But I started doing some research online, and that's when I found the residency options for Georgia and got in contact with a local lawyer there. Tell me a little bit about what Georgia's like. Like, where do you hang out when you're there? It's a really cool place, actually. The best way I can describe it is it's absolutely falling apart with things that are incredibly modern right next to it. So you've got 
all of these crazy post-Soviet buildings that are literally just crumbling to the ground and no one is living in them. And right next to them, you have not just modern, very European-looking tall buildings, but you have some very futuristic, almost like clockwork orange style types of buildings you know their justice house where you go and you do everything from we set up a business in this justice house we've applied for residency in this justice house and we actually just got married in the justice house last week because they want a marriage certificates for <laughs> georgia so this all in one place it's shaped like this group of mushrooms it has these really crazy roofs attached to it and everything it's just a very very modern place where there's also very very old traditional things there as well Residency to Georgia doesn't give you access to the Schengen area, which is what people traditionally think of as Europe. What kind of benefits do you guys feel like you would get by that residency? For myself, there's not really so many. U.S. citizens can spend 360 days per year visa-free in Georgia, so basically the whole year. For my wife, she can stay there all year as opposed to just being there for 30 days. But the real thing that we did it for, and I think will be of interest for a lot of people, is if they have a partner who's from a country that has a fairly travel-restricted passport, they can now apply for visas from Georgia. So previous to this, when we wanted to go somewhere, a lot of times my wife would have to go back to Indonesia to apply for a visa. So if we wanted to go to Bulgaria... We have to go to Jakarta and apply for the visa there. And while in Bulgaria, if we just want to cross the border to Romania, we would need to go back to Indonesia over again and apply for the visa there. So now for traveling to Europe, we have a much more central base for applying for visas. So Georgia is almost like a launch pad for you guys. Exactly. Yeah. Do you like it there? Could you live there full time? Full-time, probably not, because it gets really cold in the winter. We were just there in last week. It was snowing. It will snow in the mountains all year long. In the city of Tbilisi, it usually just you know flurries and then goes away by the end of the day. But it is a really cool place. The food is excellent. There's excellent wine there. It's supposed to be one of the, the best places in the world for people who are wine lovers. And the people are friendly. They're friendly in a fairly Eastern European way. You need to get to know them just a little bit before they become extremely hospitable and very friendly. But before you get to know them just slightly, there's a little bit of a barrier to getting them to be very friendly. Generally, the, the barrier to entry is you have a drink with a Georgian and they're your best friend. You guys must look pretty strange there. <laughs> so I fit in okay. I'm six foot two with blonde hair. They think I'm Ukrainian or maybe Swedish or something. But my wife, who's Indonesian, who's Balinese, they look at her sometimes like, where are you from? She's had a, a bunch of funny interactions because the Georgian people look very exotic to her. And she looks very exotic to them. So she'll meet, you know, a very blonde. They're Caucasian. It's the Caucasus. So she'll meet these women who are, you know, tall and blonde with blue eyes. And she's looking at them and go, wow, you're so beautiful. You look so exotic. And they say, no, 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 you're the one who's beautiful. You're the one who's exotic. And it's just a very funny interaction, you know, because it's, it's complete opposite in terms of how everyone looks. You know, it's a very homogenous type of person in Georgia. Not everyone, but there's, you know, a lot of people who look fairly similar. And then there's <laughs> me and my wife walking around and we look very different and she looks way out of place sometimes. What's the community like there in terms of foreigners or entrepreneurs? So there's definitely expats. A lot of them are working for NGOs or teaching English. 
there's not so many entrepreneurs in the sense of people like us. There's definitely people who have moved there to start a local business because it's very, very friendly and open to foreign investment and for doing business there. But not a lot of people who are there working from their laptops. I did work at a co-working space for about a month there. And most of the people there were local Georgians who are web developers or, or doing things like that. And what about Budapest? I asked Clayton to give me a feel of what it's like to live and work there. Yeah, I think it's best described as kind of like the Disneyland aspects of Europe without the price tag. It's just kind of a magical little European city, you know, beautiful old buildings, these bridges going across the river. There's a huge castle that overlooks the whole city. It's just set up well. You kind of see why they chose it because it's there's a giant step that goes out from Budapest to the east. You can see where all the invading armies probably rode through to get there. And then there's a series of hills. You can start to see as the hills start to go up. You know, Austria, Vienna is only an hour and a half away. So you can see where the, the Alps very slowly start to climb. It's very walkable. You know, remember your old posts about some of the places you liked as having places that have the amenities of a city but have a small town feel. It just really checks a lot of boxes that you'd want to have for a base, such as, you know, it's walkable. You know, there's a nice park that's right there in the Danube. You don't feel overwhelmed by, you know, being in a city or traffic. It's not bad, but you don't need to drive anywhere because the public transportation is excellent. It's not overrun by tourists like a lot of other European cities. So it's kind of one way I would describe it, too, is that it feels like it's about to have its moment. It's kind of right before it gets really, really popular. You go to somewhere like Prague and it's the most touristed city in Europe. It's been that way for a really long time. And you can easily avoid it. It's kind of a lot of the tourist stuff is really concentrated where I live. It's pretty quiet and you don't really run into that. The other main things about it, cost of living. It's hard to beat. You know, it's a European capital, but it's really not that much more expensive than, than when I was living in Chiang Mai. I mean, it's a nominal markup, really. Some things are more expensive. Some things are much cheaper. And this overall lifestyle overhead, it's very easy. It's very much like Chiang Mai. It's easy to get around. It's easy to do all the things that you need to do. You can have a weekly maid. You can have your meals delivered. You can have your groceries delivered. You just don't have to do anything that takes you away from, from really what you want to focus on. There's another huge thing. I mean, Budapest is known as the gateway to Europe. So you've got access to all kinds of amazing things there. And this was a huge one. So you've got the rail system, which means in a few hours, you can be in one of five, six, seven different countries. And then you've got at least Hungary has a discount airline, Wizz Air, and you can get these absurd fares. I'm actually flying back to Budapest next week from the Canary Islands, which is a five hour flight. It's far, and I think my return trip is 80 euros, eight zero. You can get anywhere, and, and you can book these things. You can buy flexible fares on these airlines. If you want to go somewhere every couple of weeks, absolutely, that's, that's what I try to do. So this last year I went to Slovenia. I've done trips to Switzerland and Croatia. It's absolutely amazing stuff to take advantage of when you're there. As an American, the moment you step inside the Schengen, and it's probably worth underlining that you don't have to go through immigration when you get on these flights. No. So it's like you're flying from Michigan to Wisconsin and you're not showing your passport to anybody. You live in the Canary Islands for a few months and then you're going back to Budapest. When you think about living in Europe, access to one is access to all. How did you start to think about how you were going to physically live in Europe? 
you know, there's the 90 days, basically. You're on a clock. But when I got to Budapest... And so when you say the 90 days, for a lot of Western countries, including America, you can stay for 90 days out of 180. Right. Basically, you're in three months, you got to get out, period. It's not one of those things where you really want to fool around with it. I wouldn't recommend overstaying that. But what I found out very quickly once I got to Budapest is I met a few people. There is a pretty solid expat scene there. You know, there are probably five to 10 people I met very quickly who had been there for five plus years, maybe 10 years. And you start to see, okay, there are some ways around that 90 day, the Schengen rules. One of the nice things about Budapest and Hungary is that, you know, it's relatively easy to get a residency permit which is basically a visa that allows you to stay for whatever period of time, anywhere from six months to a couple of years. It's not something like a university permit where you're in school or you have an actual job, but it's something else like, hey, I want to investigate the culture. I want to potentially start a business here. I've used a number of excuses. <laughs> and I've done three now. And the last one, they're like, all right, you've investigated the culture. You've looked at potentially starting a business and you've looked at for business partnerships. So what's going on? <laughs> like, what's the... The next step here for you to make something actually happen. But anyway, they, you know, they're relatively easy to get. I've had three of those now, so three years. And that allows you to get anywhere in Europe. You can go in and out, no problem. But I've only been asked to show it twice. So for example, if you're flying from JFK to Barcelona, you would flash your Hungary residence card in order to get into Spain. I would only show it if they ask, typically. In general, it's not that big of a deal overall for an American going in and out of Europe, but it does make everything totally legit. So they will ask for it occasionally. And it wasn't really something that they asked for until the massive immigration into Hungary that happened in 2015. So things have gotten a little bit tighter. But like I said, once you have that card, it's totally legit. I'm here in Spain on a kind of a long holiday. I'll go back to Hungary. You know, I didn't even show the card coming in and out because it's still within Europe. How much resources did you need to spend to get this residence permit? It's worth thinking about. I mean, you know, there are people who do the two passport system. By two passports, you mean if it's possible to stay for 90 days out of 180 days. And you just have the first 90-day passport and the second 90-day passport. I won't name names of the the culprits. (laughs) Like I know who are doing this. Uh, People that are doing this feel quite confident about it. Yeah, and it's probably fine. But the thing is, is this is about limiting the downside for me. So if I really want to stay in Europe long term, I want to have access to Europe. I don't want to get a large deported stamp or something like that. I just don't want to risk it. It's not a big deal. All right, so let's get down to brass tacks and talk about the various options you have if you want to stay in either of these countries longer than the 90 days that many developed nations more or less get when they enter most EU countries. And Ian, we've long lamented this policy. Wouldn't it be grand if you could come to Europe for just half the year, no sweat? Wouldn't it be grand? I mean, I'm willing to pay taxes. What do I have to do? I don't see why this can't be the next step for countries where it's like, if you meet certain requirements, not like all these kind of crazy things, but just like you go online, you pass a background check, you have enough money in various accounts. It's like you just pay taxes for the amount of time that you want to spend there. I really like that idea. They're afraid that you are going to go to the doctor too much, I think. (laughs) In America, when you go to the doctor, it's very expensive. So (laughs) No one wants to do that. (laughs) All right. So first up, Budapest. 
In terms of the investment in getting the residency permit, it's not that big of a deal. So the first time I did it, I paid 300 euros to an expat agency and they did everything for me. I took an Uber to the immigration office. I was there for one hour. I went back later one time to get a photo and then bam, I've got the card. And then the next two times I actually hired someone who was working for me and she did it, the same thing for me for no real additional cost. So it was very easy. So do you need to live in Hungary in order to do this? Yeah, you do. So a lot of it hinges on having a lease for an apartment, which is, I know, a horrible word to any of us, but it does have some advantages sometimes. That usually determines the length of the permit. So if you have a two-year apartment lease, they might give you a two-year residency permit, although I tried that and they didn't. But if you have a one-year lease, usually you're going to get a one-year permit. And you can probably do this in other countries too. This type of visa, it's the Type D residency visa, I think is what it's typically called. You can do this in other countries too. And you know they're probably strict about different things. In Hungary, they want to see that lease. They want to see how long you're going to be there for you have some commitment to actually stay. So it's not something you'd fly and get it done and leave. You really want to be there. There are some ways that you can, you know, some gray areas where you can kind of get around that, you know, if maybe you move in with a friend and get on their lease, for example. But it's not that hard to do. There are shorter term leases you can probably get. A lot of it, I think, depends on the relationship you have with your landlord, too. I have a very good one, and he's very flexible about writing up those leases for me. I'll put it that way. Okay, so Clayton went down the route of using a long lease as a way of gaining a residency card in Budapest. And in Georgia, Dana's wife, who's Balinese, opened a company there. It really couldn't have been any easier. So we worked with a lawyer. You can actually do it all yourself. I think for under $200, you can do the whole thing yourself. But we decided to save ourselves the trouble and work with a lawyer on things. I just want to cut in for a moment here, Ian, because Dana did mention to me, we talked for a bit after this interview. And he mentioned that using a lawyer did save him money and a lot of time because they were able to pick out some of the intricacies in the law that he would have never seen on his own, even though he felt like he probably could have done the process on his own. So you might want to bear that in mind. You know, lawyers aren't all bad. They can absolutely offer you strategic guidance. You know, Dan, I'm doing a little reminiscing here back in the day, and I won't say what country this is, but back in the day, I remember meeting a guy a little bit shady at a cafe, giving him my passport with a couple dollars in it and getting my visa extended in that country. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what's changed. Nothing's changed. And I want to extend your story to tell you how that particular transaction affected me. Weeks later, I'm checking through immigration and the immigration person looks at that very stamp and says... Where did you get this? Did you get this from so and so? And he just looked at me pissed and let me through. And I thought to myself, I'm about ready to go to jail. But what was actually happening, later explained to me by a local expert, was that that guy was jealous of the other guy for having gotten paid to give me the stamp. That's right. You think about that. <laughs> and I remember in this, I think it was the same country too, standing at a doorway, being late on another visa during another trip, standing at a doorway and handing money through the doorway <laughs> before I could go through immigration. Good times. We're going to have to have a travel adventures episode at some point, but let's get back to Data's story. On a Monday, uh, a couple of days after we arrived, we went to this big modern building, the Justice House, where all everything takes place. And 
We registered the company, and the next day, the company was officially registered and open. They took us to the bank and had us set up personal and corporate accounts. The banks, by the way, are they're open until 10 p.m. They're really efficient. There's really good online banking. They open a bank for you in euro, dollars, and local currency, Georgian lari. And on the third day, we went back to submit the residency documents. First, we needed to deposit about $3,000 into her personal account, which we could take out immediately after we printed the statement. And then we submitted the documents. Officially, it takes 30 days to get your decision, but you can pay an extra about $50 to get the decision in 20 days or $100 to get the decision in 10 days. And this is actually an official government fee. This is not like some, you can slip some money under the table and get things done a little bit quicker. This is just how it is. So we got the decision in 10 days. She was approved and she appointed herself as the director of the company and had her residency. She initially got it for six months. Everyone gets it for six months to a year to start out, except Americans who get it for five years to begin with. She got it for six months and recently just extended it again. This is contingent on opening a company in a bank account, so you don't need to have a local lease or even be there in order to maintain it. There is no official time required in country to maintain it. You don't have to have a lease or anything like that. The two ways you can do it are you can open a company or you can be working for a company. So she actually just sponsored me to work for her company and I got my five-year residency as her employee, but you don't have to spend any time in the country at all to maintain it. Are there any other values to you guys to have this infrastructure in place in Georgia? For her, and you don't really need the residency to do this, but she now has a bank account there that's much more internationally friendly than her Indonesian account. For example, when we got to Colombia for the first time, she tried to withdraw money from her Indonesian account, and it was just not happening. Now she has a much more internationally friendly account to receive payments in euros and dollars, especially. We sort of feel like having this residency will strengthen the passport just a bit, you know, show ties to a third country that we can return to when we're applying for visas for places that are a little bit more difficult. And of course, you know, the ability to apply for them in Georgia, or if the embassy is not located in Georgia for the place that we want to travel to. For example, we just applied for a Mexican visa. We were able to come to Istanbul and apply for the visa there, and they don't normally accept you here if you don't have Turkish residency. But because they don't have the embassy in Georgia, we can come here and do it. One other thing that also seems valuable is like if it's easy to set up a company there, you know, and if previously you were just like making money online via PayPal or whatever, having that company and bank account records can be super useful for applying for higher status visas. Like if you guys wanted to live in Japan, for example. Definitely. There's also a couple of people in the DC who have set their companies up in Georgia to actually run their main business through that corporation. And why would they choose Georgia? Just because of the simplicity of it? Partly the simplicity. For them, it was favorable in terms of taxes. Georgia has a flat 15% tax rate for corporate and 20% for your own personal salary. So for some people who don't want to, you know, go the no tax jurisdiction, places like Hong Kong or, or things like that, it can be cheaper than setting up their corporation at home. A few weeks back, we got a little philosophical in the Spain and Portugal show about how deciding where you live might affect the trajectory of your life, you know? For example, like, I bet you, Ian, you're subjected to a lot more car commercials than you would otherwise if you were, say, living in Japan. <laughs> For me, living in Spain, that might mean that I eat dinner late, you know, like very late. 
I think these little intricacies of living in a place are fascinating, though. You know, how does a place rub off on you? How does it change the way your life goes if you end up being there for a while? So I asked both of these guys, and first Dana, about the pros, but also the cons for them of their chosen locations. Pop quiz, Ian. Biggest con of living in Texas. Biggest con of living in Texas? Yeah. I'd say there's a good possibility of gout at some point. It's like a lot of red meat and a lot of alcohol. (laughs) Fair enough. Let's hear from what today's guest had to say. To be honest, I, I really like it. It's very European in a way, but it's also very up and coming as well. It's a very capitalist country. It's supposedly rated as one of the most capitalist countries in the world. How's that affect you? <laughs> Sometimes it feels good. It's not, it's not so fun when the taxi driver is very capitalist. In terms of just getting things done, you know, like I said, you can pay to get your documents processed faster and it's an official fee. It's not like you paid some guy who's going to run it through faster for you and maybe he disappears and doesn't actually do it quicker. Their overall attitude towards foreign investment and, and foreigners being there is very good. The infrastructure is very good. Internet is fast. Everything works really well. That's what really surprised me the most is that it's this very, very ancient culture. It's very traditional in a lot of ways, but at the same time, Everything works well, and you arrive in, and life is very easy and simple there. Now you guys are residents there, permanent residents. You have a company there. How much time do you predict that you'll be there next year? We probably plan to be there a couple months out of the year, each year, mostly for the purpose of applying for visas to go to other places. So, you know, we want to spend the summer in in Europe, in the Schengen area. So we'll be there to apply for a visa to to get there. While we're there, we'll enjoy our time there because we do enjoy living there. But you know me, I never stay too long in one place. So, you know, go for a month, hang out, do what I need to do. I just so happen need to be there and then move on to the next place, come back in a few months and do it all over again. One thing I like a lot about Hungary and Budapest is that it's very similar. Like it's not a huge leap to understand the culture and to just kind of integrate and hang out with people. It's very comfortable for someone who's from the West. It's not like you're you're necessarily constantly bombarded by the differences like it might be if you were in Thailand or somewhere else in Southeast Asia. Your Hungarian friends, they're happy to speak to you in English. Yeah, absolutely. The English is very, it's very good on average. So yeah, no problem. I mean, people are very excited if you learn a few Hungarian words, which I would highly recommend, you know, like anywhere else. How's the scene there for people like you and me? I would say compared to some of the other hubs, it's very small, but it's growing rapidly. I guess every city is going to affect people in different ways. But for example, when I got to Chiang Mai, I immediately felt completely calm. I had zero need to get anywhere else. I was perfectly happy there. And there's something about Budapest that eliminates all FOMO for me. The people who are there, it does the same thing for them. I'm not worried about what's going on anywhere else when I'm there. It's very weird. And I think you know, maybe that's one of the, the traits of the, the neurotic digital nomad is that you know, constantly like, what is the, that next thing? But when I'm there, it's like, yeah, there's enough going on to where I don't worry about it and I can just kind of do my thing. So I think it is a combination of that. You know, I think a lot of the early travelers also ended up getting married there. So it's not uncommon. Well, the relationship thing is worth mentioning, too, because sure, if you want to go out and date people and stuff, that's fine if you're moving every three months. But if you want to meet someone more significant in your life, it doesn't work so well. Just in this like digital nomad neuroticism thing, could you engage in a little irresponsible comparison of random places that shouldn't be compared? Like, let's say, how would you compare it to Prague and Berlin? Why wouldn't you just go live in Berlin or Prague? 
I'm glad you asked about Berlin. So Prague, for me, the circuit I did when I originally was in Europe, I did this just ridiculous, you know, the multi-country tour. I went Barcelona, Berlin, Prague, Krakow, Budapest, and then took a train all the way to Turkey, actually to Istanbul, I remember, when I was on the way to Bali. So I got to see those cities and, and scope it out a little bit. And Prague for me was just it was just too much from the tourism aspect. It's incredibly beautiful. It just about knocks you down when you see it. But you also can't really view it without getting bumped into or it just is too much. So I imagine you could live outside of that area and be fine. And so maybe that's a big part of this draw to these cities is like if you have a reason to stay somewhere, you figure it out and then, you know, you develop a connection with it. I'm sure that could happen in Prague. But for me, that was the overwhelming aspect. Berlin, I always felt like, I guess I didn't really identify with the culture as much. It didn't speak to me, I guess. I was always a little disappointed. I mean, I read the four hour work week back in 2007, and I always was a little disappointed that I didn't get to see Berlin during that early sort of heyday period that was talked about, you know, when it was really cheap and it was really before anyone was there. And one of the reasons I like Budapest is I feel like it's at that moment. It is that moment where five years from now we'll be talking about, man, you missed it. <laughs> you know, it was, you really should have been there then. And to be fair, I think either one of those spots could be fantastic if it speaks to you and if you find the right spot. So that just comes down to preference. I think I have sold Budapest quite a bit. I was a little scared actually that I oversold it, but a lot of people have showed up and a lot of people have loved it. And it's been really fantastic to have more like-minded folks show up. That was one of the big things that was missing. And then, you know, I saw a photo this year, I think it was in maybe early June or late May of this long table, just full of DCers. And I thought, oh shit, you know, what, what have I done? But I mean, everybody is just, everyone I've met is incredible. It's such a great group. So it's it's just nice to have that. And, and I honestly think that that city could be a major hub for startups and development. I don't know if it's going to happen, but you know, I think that there's a ton of potential and it's just nice to see some of that be realized. So I'm going to keep plugging away at it. You know, I've always been very vocal about whatever my flavor of the week is, you know, and I get a lot of backlash. You know, people walk up to me in Barcelona and they'll look at me and they'll be like, this place sucks. I can't believe you're talking about it. Have there been moments when people have been disappointed by Budapest and what are some of the things that they identify? I'm glad you asked that too, because there are some downsides. I mean, just to list a couple of downsides from my perspective real quick. So one of them is, well, the weather sucks a lot. It was great this year. I don't know with climate change, maybe it's getting nicer, but it's Europe. You know, if it's continental Europe, it can be the middle of summer and it's raining and cold and you, you know, that you just have to deal with it. The other thing too is the culture is a little bit, you know, it's that post-Soviet bloc depression thing. It's a little subdued and it's not that big of a deal, but if you're there for a long time, I think it starts to affect you a little bit. Everything's a little bit down. You know, not individuals, it's just kind of like a collective consciousness that like you can feel it. There have been a couple things like one friend who was there, I've been talking about how Budapest is one of the safest places I've ever lived. It doesn't feel like there's any risk there. I'm never worried about things getting stolen. I haven't really heard of you know any kind of muggings or anything so sure enough i'm talking it up friend comes to visit and is in town for a couple days and is mugged in broad daylight with his girlfriend you know in a relatively popular part of town just like out of the blue so it can happen but like anywhere else it, it is a possibility I really think these interviews are fun. In fact, I've gone back into the DC, the Dynamite Circle. 
our private forum and started digging around for more stories like this because I don't know, I just find them fascinating. Like I had so much fun on the phone with these guys hearing about their entrepreneurial journey and how it's led them to these places that I I don't know much about. So we're gonna be looking to bring a handful more stories like this to the show in the coming months. And by the way, this one is gonna be posted at tropicalmba.com slash hungry and Georgia. And I'm going to guess that you're at least one of those, Ian, right now. This <laughs> I'm going for number one. We've been on the phone for a little while. All right, boss man. I'll see you next Thursday morning. Adios. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.